invite you to open up your Bibles to the book of Amos in the Old Testament. We've been looking at, at several uh, different uh, passages in, in Amos chapters 8 and 9. So if you can find the, the bigger, the longer prophet books, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, you finally get to Daniel, and then Amos is not too far after Daniel. You have to go through Hosea, and then you get to, oh, then Joel, and then finally you get to Amos. Open up to chapters 8 and 9. I'm going to start with verse 4. Hear this, you who trample the needy and do away with the poor of the land, saying, When will the new moon be over that we may sell grain and the Sabbath be ended, that we may market wheat? Skimping on the measure, boosting the price, and cheating with dishonest scales, buying the poor with silver and the needy for a pair of sandals, selling even the the sweepings, the leftovers, with the wheat. The Lord is sworn by himself, the pride of Jacob. I will never forget anything they have done. Verse 11, the days are coming, declares the sovereign Lord, when I will send a famine through the land, not a famine of food or a thirst for water, but a famine of hearing the words of the Lord. People will stagger from sea to sea and wander from north to east, searching for the word of the Lord but they will not find it. And then in chapter 9, I saw the Lord standing by the altar, and he said, Strike the tops of the pillars so that the thresholds shake. Bring them down on the heads of all the people. Those who are left I will kill with a sword. Not one will get away, not one escape. Though they dig down to the depths below, From there my hand will take them, though they climb up to the heavens above. From there I will bring them down. Though they hide themselves on top of Mount Carmel, there I will hunt them down and seize them. Though they hide from my eyes at the bottom of the sea, there I will command the serpent to bite them. Though they are driven into exile by their enemies, there I will command the sword to slay them. I will keep my eye on them for harm and not for good. Verse 9, for I will give the command and I will shake the people of Israel among all the nations as grain is shaken in a sieve and not a pebble will reach the ground. All the sinners among my people will die by the sword. All those who say disaster will not overtake or meet us. In that day, I will restore David's fallen shelter. I will repair its broken walls and restore its ruins And will rebuild it as it used to be, so that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the nations that bear my name, declares the Lord, who will do these things. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when the reaper will be overtaken by the plowman and the planter by the one treading grapes. New wine will drip from the mountains and flow from all the hills, and I will bring my people Israel back from exile. They will rebuild the ruined cities and live in them. They will plant vineyards and drink their wine. They will make gardens and eat their fruit. 
I will plant Israel in their own land, never again to be uprooted from the land I have given them, says the Lord your God. And let us pray. Heavenly Father, we, we pray that you would bless this reading of your word, that your word would enter into our hearts, that you would comfort the afflicted this morning. And yes, indeed, that you would, as it has been said, if afflict the comfortable this morning as your word penetrates our very being. In Jesus' name, amen. During uh, the Great Depression in New York City, uh, the mayor, Fiorello LaGuardia, recognize that name, um, occasionally he would uh, preside as a judge over uh, one of the courts. And uh, one day, an old man was, was in court, and he was being charged with, with theft. He had stolen bread during the Depression so that he could feed his family. And LaGuardia said to the man, listen, I, I have to punish you. I have no other choice. I have to um, sentence you. So I sentence you to a fine of $10. And, of course, LaGuardia in those days knew that that man did not have $10 to pay the fine. So he then reached into his own pocket, got out a $10 bill, gave it to the man and said, here's your $10 to pay the fine. And then LaGuardia said, and now I charge everybody in this courtroom 50 cents for living in a town where a man has to steal bread in order to feed his family. And right then and there, he collected $47.50 and he gave it to the man. People long to live in a world where there is this reversal, where instead of the hungry um, being desperate, instead that the hungry being satisfied and fed and filled. People long to live in that kind of a world. And what we're doing during Advent is we're looking at Mary's song that she proclaims um, in response to God giving her the, the honor and the, the burden of bearing uh, the Savior to the world. And she, she, she sings this song of, of praise. But it's not a song that she makes up. Rather, it's a song that is influenced by her Jewish faith. Um, and so we're looking at what are some of the, the things, the readings that influenced Mary to to give that proclamation. And today we're looking at the prophet Amos. When when Mary thinks about what God is doing inside of her, by sending the world Jesus, one of the things she says in this prayer, now we read the prayer last week, we're not going to read it in its entirety today. I'm just going to give you one verse today from it. But one of the things that she says is that there is a reversal that is coming. In verse 53 of Luke chapter 1, she says, He has filled, God has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. So there's this reversal that Mary says is on its way. And where did she get this notion? Well, from reading the prophets, the Old Testament prophets, and Amos, for sure. Um, Amos uses a word to describe a world where the hungry 
are filled. And where there is provision for all, and that word is justice. Justice. So let's look at the scripture that we read, chapters 8 and 9 from Amos. And as we do, I, I want to offer up maybe a few words that you can write down. If you have your Bible, you can write it down in your Bible or on your note sheet. Just words that, that came to my mind as I was reading through this that, that help point to what God is doing. And the first word, um, as, as I was reading through chapter 8, verses 4 through 7, uh, the word priority came to mind. God's priority. Amos was a prophet during, um, during a time of relative peace and prosperity in, uh, in, in the two nations of, of Israel, the northern kingdom, the southern kingdom, Israel and, and Judah. Because at this time, they both um, had long-standing kings. These kings ruled for decades. And at this time, in Israel's history, uh, in world history, at this time, there wasn't an, another major superpower in the world that was threatening Israel, like the Assyrian Empire that we talked about when we studied Jonah, or the Babylonian Empire um, when we were looking at, at Daniel that was threatening the Israelites. And so there was this period, of, a decade-long period, where there was um, peace and prosperity in Israel, and, and financial prosperity, as Israel... Uh, many of the trade routes went through the land of, of Israel, and so they were able to capitalize on all this foreign travel and, and commerce going through their, through their nation. And you might think that in such an environment, in such a, a plentiful environment, that the influential in Israel, that the, the business leaders among God's people would have thought, well, this is wonderful. Look at, look at the, the prosperity that we are experiencing as a nation. How can we go about sharing with all of Israel this economic prosperity that we are receiving? But that wasn't happening. And Amos reveals this. Instead, those who were coming hungry were leaving hungrier because they were being cheated by the wealthy business owners. Amos chapter 8, verse 5, these Citizens of Israel would say, when will the new moon be over that we may sell grain? When will the Sabbath be ending that we may sell wheat, market, market wheat? Um, and then this uh, important detail of how they were doing it, Amos adds, they were skimping on the measure. In other words, they were putting less wheat and grain in the container and selling it as if it were more. Skipping on the measure, boosting the price and cheating with dishonest scales, buying the poor with silver and the needy for a pair of sandals. And so as they were worshiping, see, them. why is the new moon and the Sabbath significant in this passage? Well, those are times of worship for the, for the ancient Israelites. And as they were worshiping, they were saying, the wealthy were saying, when will our worship be over so that we can go out and make a profit? More than a profit, however, so that we can cheat the poor by using faulty scales and by inflating the prices of necessities that the poor would have to even go into debt to get something as simple as a pair of shoes, 
That's what is meant by they were buying the poor with the needy, with with four pair of sandals. The poor would be going into debt just to buy that that uh, that necessity of uh, shoes. They couldn't wait to get out of worship so that they could make an extra buck. And so they saw this time of economic prosperity not as a time to share that prosperity with others, but to secure more prosperity for themselves. And Amos says, that's injustice. That's in unjust. See, the problem is that it misunderstands God's intent for the blessings that he gives us. They ignored, the Israelites were ignoring what God told Abraham that we looked at way back in our study of Genesis, chapter 12. When God told Abraham that he would bless Abraham, but not for Abraham's own sake, but so that Abraham, not so that Abraham could seek selfish gain himself, but rather so that Abraham could then bless others, that the whole earth would be blessed through God blessing Abraham. And see, God meant for the Israelites to remember that word and to live by that word. God sends his word so that there might be justice. God sends very uh, specific instructions, in fact. You know, for the ancient Israelites, every 50 years, some of y'all will know where I'm going with this. Every 50 years, God told the ancient Israelites, you are to cancel all debts throughout your country, throughout the nation. All debts canceled. Indebted slavery, those who had to sell themselves into slavery to pay off their debts were to be freed. And if family land were sold in order to pay off debts, that family land was to be returned to the original owners of it. Just a, just a complete reversal of all indebtedness and a return of financial stability for all people. And it was called the year of Jubilee, that 50th year. The year of Jubilee, and it was, it was a sign of God's ultimate vision for human society, for human flourishing, where each person had enough, that the hungry indeed were satisfied. See, that's what happens when God's word is followed. When God's people obey God's word, something really important happens. The result is justice. God's people obey God's word. God has something really important that he's going to set into motion, and that is justice. God says through Amos, didn't read this section, but a, a, a famous or a familiar verse from Amos, let justice roll like a river, like an overflowing river. God's vision for society is there to be a flood of justice. But there isn't any indication that the Israelites were following these commands of God that would ensure justice. And when people disobey God's word, the result is the opposite. It's injustice. And then later in this scripture that we read, God says, there will be a severe disruption in my relationship with you when there is that injustice because you are ignoring my word. And God indicates that disruption in chapter 8, verse 11. Look at that. Verse 11. God says, I will send a famine through the land, not a famine of food or a thirst for water, but rather a famine of 
hearing the words of the Lord. So God is saying, if you won't follow my word on how to treat the poor and the powerless among you, when you do turn to me, you won't find me. I'll be silent. I will be so silent, God says, that you might not even think that I am here. But I will be here, God says. I will be here for sure, and I will be watching you. I'll be watching you, which leads us to chapter 9, verse 1. And if you were to write down a word at chapter 9, verse 1, write down the word punctuation. As God punctuates the severity of injustice. Look at the beginning of chapter 9. Chapter 9, verse 1 says, I saw the Lord standing by the altar. Now, why is that significant? Well, the altar was in the the place of worship in the temple. It was in the place where the, the Israelites were gathering to worship. The worship faithful community gathered at the temple. And when the faithful community was gathering to worship, certainly they were hoping to receive a blessing. From God. Listen, did you, when you came to worship today, did you come hoping you receive a blessing from God? I hope you did. I hope you were hoping for a blessing from God as you came to worship God today. Well, the Hebrew community during Amos' day may have come into the temple expecting, hoping for that blessing to be there from God, and God says, no, no. Verse 9 strike the tops of the pillars so that the thresholds of the temple shake. Bring them down on the heads of all the people, those who are left. From that, I'll I'll kill with a sword. Not one will get away. None will escape. Okay, that isn't a blessing. (laughs) And God makes sure everyone knows, no matter how hard you try, you won't be able to escape. Just look at verse 2. Verse 2, that they dig down. To the depths below, people try to dig their way away from God. There my hand will take them. Though they climb up to the heavens above, if if that's where you try to go to escape from me, from there I will bring them down. Keep reading in in your own Bibles. Verse verse 3. Though you hide yourself at the top of a mountain, or or if you go down to to the bottom of the sea, or even if you're driven away into exile, no matter where you go, God's going to find you, he says. And then look at verse 4. Verse 4 is very troubling, isn't it? I will keep my eye on them. I will keep my eye on them. Now, there is an old, there's an old hymn that many people love. Um, His eye is on the sparrow. Isn't that a hymn that you're familiar with? His eye is on the sparrow. And the point of that hymn is that God watches over you and knows your needs and he knows what you're going through and he's with you. But not here, not in verse 4. Please put that verse 4 back up. God says, I will keep my eyes on them for their harm, not for their good. You won't be able to get away with injustice. God will see it. In fact, God... We'll see it even when we don't see it in ourselves. Question this morning. Do you think that we can be blinded to the injustice of others around us? 
I think so. I think so. For one reason, I think we are quick to find people who have more than we do and maybe putting a little exaggeration on it, think, oh, how we suffer. <laughs> and my, my family uh, went into town yesterday. I, was, I wasn't with them, but they went into town um, uh, to, the, to the West Gray area and wound up going to the, the, the Steinway Piano Gallery there. Yeah, Steinway Piano Gallery. Have you ever been inside of that piano gallery? That's where they sell the $200,000 grand pianos. Uh, Ryan got to play on a $200,000 grand piano yesterday. Um, more average price pianos there go for like $50,000, $60,000. And many of those, you know, had the sold sign on them, apparently. Um, you know, and it's, it's, it's easy to look at all of that and think, yeah, it's those people, those people who are buying those grand pianos that need to worry about justice going on, not me. Not little old me. I'm just scratching to survive here. I think, I think we can have that mentality. And when that is so, I fail to notice others who are having to do a whole lot more scratching to survive than, than I have to do. We can be blind to injustice around us. And then, of course, there's a problem of just getting too comfortable with a relative ease that we enjoy in our time and place. And our hearts can turn inwardly, and we lose sight of those struggling around us. We we can become blind to injustice. And one of the things from Amos that we see is this, as we look at the nation of Israel, and that is status as God's people does not immune us from God's rebuke when God's commands are ignored. You can be in the status of, I'm God's, I'm one of God's people. But I'm not immune to God's rebuke when I ignore God's commands. And verse 10, if you look at verse 10 in chapter 9, it says, judgment is coming for the unjust. Let's keep this slide up for a moment. All sinners among my people will die by the sword. Well. With that word of encouragement, let us stand up for the blessing and we will be dismissed. Do you put yourself in that category? I am a sinner among God's people. Yeah, I'm, I'm in that. I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm in that category. I'm in that category. All sinners among my people will die by the sword. But mercifully, that is not the end of that statement, is it? See, the third word I want you to write down is the word pause. Look at that comma. All sinners among my people will die by the sword, comma. And there's this little pause. And then there's this very important explanatory note that finishes that statement. This little comma asks us to pause for a moment. And then it clarifies, this will happen to all those who say disaster will not overtake or meet us. And see, the opposite of that, of course, is saying, ah, disaster. It will overtake us, except by the mercy of God. See, that, that, that important explanatory note in verse 10, it's, it's those 
who aren't humble, those who aren't repentant before the Lord that are going to receive God's judgment. When you say disaster will overtake us except by the mercy of God, that's, that's humility before the Lord. That is fear of the Lord, showing fear of the Lord. And fear of the Lord is necessary for receiving the mercy of God. Let me point us back to Mary's song that she proclaimed in Luke chapter 1. There's this, this really important line, verse 50 of Luke 1, where she is singing about the mercies of God. His mercy extends to those who what? to those who fear him from generation to generation. So the fear of the Lord is, is that which, which makes someone hungry before God, hungry enough to say, oh God, I need your grace, I need your mercy, because without your mercy, I'm a dead man. Without your mercy, I'm a goner, because I'm a sinner. And I am not only empty without you, I am dead without you. That's what the fear of the Lord brings to our hearts. And there needs to be more people today coming to the Lord humble and hungry instead of just presuming that, hey, everything's great between me and the Lord. Everything's great in my heart. I don't need the Lord coming in and doing his work in my heart. But when there's fear of the Lord, when there's that humility, when there's that hunger, we can remember that when we come to God hungry, God will satisfy us. So the fear of the Lord is not to fill us with uncertainty, but rather to give us certainty of God's favor. And listen to Mary again. His mercy extends to those who fear him generation after generation after generation. So the great mercy of God is such that even when from human eyes all is lost, when from human, the human perspective, there is not one shred of deserving blood in me, God says, you know what? When you come to me hungry, you will leave satisfied. And verse 11 of Amos 9 says, In that day, I will restore David's fallen shelter. I will repair its broken, wall, its broken walls and restore its ruin. And I will rebuild it as it used to be, so that they may possess the remnant of Edom, and all the nations that bear my name, even Edom, is enfolded back under the tent. Edom, remember, remember Edom, Esau, another name for Esau, Esau and Jacob, the two brothers, sons of Isaac, that couldn't get along, that fought, that had been alienated throughout their life. Finally, Edom, even Edom. And historically, the Edomites and the Israelites, there was always this fighting and tension and animosity between them. Even Edom gets restored underneath the tent that God is going to repair. Even those least likely to receive God's mercy will receive it. And so you have the opportunity to come. We have the opportunity to come under this expanding tent of God. Amos calls it David's fallen shelter, but we can think of it as this, this big protective tent. How is God going to restore David's fallen shelter? One coming from the line of David, Jesus Christ himself would come and has come. That those who believe in him and trust him can be welcomed underneath the tent. Salvation is found underneath that tent. Salvation is found under the tent of God.
But it's not the salvation that many people imagine. You know, believe in Christ, have my sins forgiven, and one day I'll be whisked off to some ethereal heaven. No, the kingdom, the, the salvation that we find under this tent, this restored tent, the salvation that we find in the kingdom of God that Jesus is bringing in is going to be more true, more real, more concrete, more beautiful, more satisfying than anything that we've ever seen. There will be a restoration like we have never seen before. So finally, if you want to write another word, fourth word, write the word promise. Right around verse 13 of Amos 9. Because in verses 13 through 15, God gives us insight into this salvation and how great the salvation is. Verse 13 through 15 describes it like this. Imagine, God says, imagine a time when the reaper will be overtaken by the plowman. Read that in your Bibles. Imagine a time when the planter will be overtaken by the one treading the grapes. I mean, in other words, the land's going to be so fruitful, things are going to grow so readily from the land that by the, by, by the, by the moment that you're, that you're harvesting or done harvesting, someone's planting again. Stuff is fruit and, and, and crops are growing out of the ground that fast. Imagine such a time like that. What would that be like? Well, no one would be in need. There would be plenty. No one would go without. There would be practically a limitless supply. God says, yeah, that's what's coming. God says the mountains will be dripping with wine. Wine will be in abundance flowing from the hills. Listen, you've been in the hill country plenty of times. What happens in the hill country when there's a flash flood and all this this water is going down the hills? What happens to the creeks below? Well, they, they flood. They become torrential rivers. What is God describing? Justice flowing like a river. That's how great of a salvation God has in store. What will that be like? Where crops are growing out of the ground as soon as you plant it? Where there is a a mighty torrent of justice and provision, and delight just flowing through the land. It's like Eden. It's like the restoration of Eden. And God says, exactly. That is what I'm bringing. I'm going to bring about a reversal so that there is always enough in relationships. Hmm? Edom being brought into the tent. Relationships will be restored, like Jacob and Esau, finally coming together, except this time as real brothers and not as enemies. And in this, we see why God, and here's why I bring all this up. We see why God cares so much about justice and why we should too. And it's because of this. God's salvation is deeply physical. And you might object to that. You might say, Wait a minute. That's not what I learned. I learned ethereal heaven. I learned 
angels sitting on clouds. Except without the clouds, because clouds are made up of matter, and so that can't exist in an ethereal heaven. That's not what I learned. Meet Amos, who's presenting the real vision. See, there have been plenty of people throughout human history, full of people. History is full of people who have, who have believed in a purely spiritual salvation that ultimately would be like angels without clouds, since, <laughs> since their, their mentality is that it will be all spiritual. They believe that throughout history, human history, people have believed the spiritual is more, it's far superior than the physical. And, and, and people, when they have believed that about salvation, they have always been troubled by Jesus Christ being born as a human being. Because there's no explanation for that. If the spiritual is far superior to the physical, why, why people have struggled with throughout the years, why, why, why would the Savior then be born as a physical little baby? And if all we are headed towards is a spiritual salvation, it is fairly meaningless to take care of human physical needs in this life and pursue justice. But my friends, we do have a Savior who was born as this, this little baby, this flesh and blood human being. And when Mary and Joseph, remember the story? When they, when they bring Jesus to the temple, this little baby Jesus, what, eight, eight days old? Is that when they brought him to the temple to be, to be dedicated? And they, they, meet, they meet Simeon, the old prophet, Simeon. Um, and this old man takes this little baby. I mean, that would be an intense scene. Give me this baby, this prophet. What does he say? He's holding this baby. He says, my eyes have seen your salvation, God. What is he looking at? He's looking at this little human being, this flesh and blood Savior. And when that baby grew up and Jesus died on the cross and he rose from the grave, he rose up in a real imperishable physical body, a resurrected body that that, that ate fish with his disciples afterwards and that talked to his disciples and touched his disciples, which he now has in heaven. So what do you think we will be resurrected to? To the physical with real physical bodies that, that touch, that, that, that's able to, to talk and visit with, restored relationships, right? That, that sing, that, that eat in a restored world that flows with justice. That is the salvation that we find under God's, uh, David's restored tent. So do you want to care about justice? Know the gospel, Jesus was born in this world so that he could experience human, uh, that he could experience injustice. And Jesus was stripped of all of his possessions. That's unjust. He was deprived of his dignity. He was stripped naked. He was beaten. He was falsely accused. He was killed. Why? Because he so loved the world. He so loved this world. 
said, I will suffer the, the ultimate injustices so that I could secure for you a future of perfect justice for all of creation where provision flows in abundance. So know that gospel and savor it and share that gospel. And see, when we share the gospel, something happens. Justice is unleashed as the gospel changes hearts. When we share the gospel and that changes human hearts, justice is unleashed. See, the early church knew this vision, this fusion, this vision that's at the end of Amos, restored world, overflowing with abundance. Um, it is a vision for the future, but the early church knew it is also a vision that the church was going to help bring into existence now. See, listen, if you have your Bible, if you like, do you like uh, cross-references in your Bibles? Do you like those little cross-reference notes? You might. They're getting too small for me to see, but I can, if I squint, and I look at, and I look at Amos chapter 9, and I look at Verses 11, 12, 13. Where, where do I see a cross-reference? It's actually to the book of Acts. See, this, this, what we just read is quoted one time in the New Testament. Acts chapter 15. You can look that up on your own, but what happens is the early church are gathering, and James, one of the key leaders in the church, they're talking about the spread of the gospel to the Gentiles, to those who many... Jewish people would think they don't deserve God's favor. They're talking about the spread of the gospel to the Gentiles. And James quotes this from Amos chapter 9. I will restore David's fallen shelter. I will repair its broken walls. I will restore its ruin, its ruins. And we're going to the Gentiles with the gospel. And he recognized that this vision is not just for the far future, but it is to be built now as the church, as Christians, as me, as you, go out and share the gospel. And the gospel changes human hearts. Justice is unleashed. The hungry will be fed. The lonely will be befriended. The powerless will be upheld. As those who believe in Christ and are filled with the Spirit of Christ, then live out the ministry of Christ, justice will be unleashed. You see, the gospel changes the human heart, creating both a yearning for justice, but also a yearning to bring justice. And so as we wait, and not just wait, but participate in God's work. Not just waiting for God's work bringing this about, but we are participating in God's work bringing this about. Restoring this world. Bringing justice. Restoring things to like it was in Eden. Remembering that God is moving us to a time when there is no curse. We'll be rescued from the curse. Let us be hopeful. Let us look for opportunities. Let us savor the gospel. Let us celebrate what God will be doing 
and is already doing among us? Let us not bring justice. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, our Savior Jesus Christ, thank you that you were born as a humble, as a very vulnerable little infant. And that you lived your life subjecting yourself to the injustices of this world, but so that one day you will ultimately free us from all injustices and bring about this wonderful restoration. Lord, we pray that you would help us to be so thankful that we can be living under your restored tent, the tent where we find your salvation, that that the desire to do good, to show love, to share with those who are in need, that that would just overflow from our hearts. And Lord, we do celebrate where you are bringing human history, our full salvation. We pray all this with great thanksgiving. In Jesus' name, amen.